Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Today we're talking about an excerpt from Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. It's the book in which Ivan and Alyosha, two of the brothers, meant to symbolize different forms of sensuality, discuss life, meaning, and God. So you said that Ivan and Alyosha represent two different forms of sensuality? Yes, yeah, so they are two of the three brothers, um, born of the father who is just the most degenerate piece of shit ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a uh, ridiculous man who revels in being base, being a low creature. You know, he'll have prostitutes come over to his house and have drunken orgies on a regular basis and that all the, that kind of fun stuff enjoying the carnal aspects of of his life and and then just enjoying being crotchety and everything that represents sen- sensuality um which mm-hmm. maybe we should throw in a dictionary definition because that's such a central part of this discussion. What is sensuality? It is the enjoyment, expression, or pursuit of physical, especially sexual, pleasure. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I mean, it's diff- it's, diff- it's different from purely purely sexual, right? It's it's also just senses in general, but kind of with an emphasis on on the sexual stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, what? What Dostoevsky does in this novel is he sort of extends that definition and with with these three brothers, each one represents uh, a different form of se- sensuality. The first brother, Dmitri, represents kind of the more basic level of sexual and emotional desire. He's very bound by his impulses of chivalry and grandeur and self-gratification. Ivan, the middle brother, represents an intellectual sensualism. What what do you think that would mean? Uh he he just seems like he takes a lot of pleasure like having intellectual conversations and talking mm. about eternal questions and he just kind of like he likes the whole process of that as a yeah. as a thing. I think you're spot on, and I think even more so, 
that he likes those things even as he knows that he doesn't believe the things that he's arguing. He's just arguing for the sake of arguing. Yeah. Doesn't he also say that he can't, he knows he can't actually understand that much. He knows that he he can basically like, he can only understand so much as a human. Mm. Yeah. 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 And yet he, he still likes, he likes talking about the questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He says that <clears throat> questions about God are inappropriate for humans as we evolved in a three-dimensional form of existence and that God in in his understanding of what that word means is an expression of the infinite and so he says that sure why not I, I can't know God so he, he, he maybe he does exist yeah kind of agnostic mm-hmm. yeah I like I like how they they start off by by talking about how how like green youth like to discuss these questions more and like mm-hmm. here we are two two green youth discussing <laughs> these questions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that he says that it's his youthful exuberance that is his sensualism, his joy of life, and that when he turns thirty then he'll set the cup aside, that is, stop indulging <laughs> in sensualism. Okay, yeah, I, I wasn't sure quite what he meant by the cup, if it was just alcohol or also, like... But so it's also the idea of thinking about these questions. I think so. I think that with Dostoevsky, you have to see the deeper metaphor in, in what he's yeah. saying as well. Yeah. Um, which That gets mentioned in, like, other parts of the book a lot as the cup, or... Um, I don't believe it's mentioned a whole lot, but I think generally the cup means drinking alcohol and that in this context, there's kind of a layer underneath that implies um, because because what we're what he's basically doing with the whole book is exploring this idea of what it is to be a sensualist, that it's not simply the sexual physical stimulation, but that it can be extended to. Uh, in Ivan's case, into intellectual grounds as well. Mm-hmm. So what did you think he was talking about when he later says that perhaps when he's 30, he'll dash the cup to the ground? Well, he, he mentioned that his father was was trying to uh, not put the cup down and, and he was like 70 or 80, right? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he kind of saw what that did to his dad. And mm-hmm. was nervous about the same thing happening to him. Possibly. Uh, yeah, I think that there's absolutely that layer. But again, Dostoevsky's writing, it's, there's so many different layers to it. Um, to me, there was a subtext which uh, is verified by Alyosha's response uh, where Ivan says, I'll dash the cup to the ground and Alyosha's horrified and then Yvonne says but don't worry before I do that I'll come talk to you first I just want to see the expression in your face I want to see how you'll react yeah <laughs> so what do you think that's talking about <laughs> uh I mean they, they seem to have this kind of friendly antagonistic relationship where they or at least Yvonne is like is He's very aware that they're on on different sides of, of a lot of yeah. these questions, uh-huh. and he just likes to 
I don't know, poke and prod Alyosha and because he because <laughs> Alyosha seems very like uh, sincere mm-hmm. and and heartfelt and like he, you know, he really he really believes in God and believes all these things and um, yeah, yeah. I feel like Yvonne is just trying to get him to I don't know, not light lighten up a bit, but get him to to question his his own views a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, to me, the dashing the cup to the ground also represented suicide. I think that was the implication hmm. beyond that. Interesting. Which ties into this concept where basically, so in this section, the two brothers are sitting in a pub and they're discussing God and if there is a God and, and other ramifications about God. And uh, Yvonne is the atheist perspective as as represented by Fyodor Dostoevsky, who is very much uh, a Christian. And then Alyosha is a monk in the story and so mm-hmm. represents the Christian perspective. That's interesting. I, I forgot Dostoevsky was, was Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very much so. Um, it's so interesting because in this in this section and in this book, uh, at least for the whole book, there's a very strong thrust of of. of I see you smiling there, Trevor. <laughs> you you were smiling first. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, of basically a defense of Christianity and he seems to take the stance later on in the book Yvonne speaks with shame about the ideas that he represents in this section and says how could I have possibly believed those things and yet I don't know how do you feel about his arguments versus those of Alyosha's I mean I think I mean, Yvonne's arguments are are kind of centered around how how can there be a god when you know there's so much suffering in the world, including even children who can't possibly have done anything hmm. to deserve it. Yeah, and I mean that, that's an argument I'm pretty pretty sympathetic to. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought I thought I thought his arguments are overall pretty pretty convincing. Yeah, I, I felt so. Um, as well. Although the <laughs> <laughs> the the poem that he he wrote is just so so bizarre. <laughs> the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's give a little summary of the Grand Inquisitor here. So it's set. Or it's it's set in fifteenth so, century Seville. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a story about Christ coming back and performing miracles and getting imprisoned by the inquisitor or a inquisitor who's like 90 or something yeah like the pope and the inquisitor is the pope is that the same yeah i think it's basically the same okay and the really funny part is that that uh christ never speaks for the entire thing it's just the inquisitor talking at him and and yeah. telling him why he shouldn't have come back <laughs> <laughs> and uh the whole thing is set after Christ has been imprisoned and they're going to burn him the next day. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like, uh, risen a girl from the dead and restored sight to one 
blind guy. Yeah, and there's that line that everyone, when they saw him, knew instantly who it was because mm-hmm. they said, how could it be anyone else but him? Yeah, and the, and the, the Inquisitor basically says that that has taken away everything that was meaningful about Christianity, right? Or, or a lot of it. Yeah. That it, that it kind of messed everything up that they had been doing for the past 15 centuries. What did you feel about that, that, that argument? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I thought he was just trying to show how, how silly it, it is for the, for religion and specifically, I guess that the Catholic church to think that they know so, so much about what God wants mm. or how things should be such that they'll even when when god comes back they'll tell him that he doesn't know what he's doing and that he was incorrect and that they actually know what the right thing to do is and mm. yeah that's that's what i kind of got out of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he was talking about all has been given by thee to the pope that jesus or god entrusted his power his shepherding responsibilities to the church and that by coming back he's adding on more when he's already died for their sins as far as they're concerned like anything that happens after that there's nothing more to add he talks a lot about freedom right about how coming back takes something away from the idea that people should believe in god and have faith just out, out of like pure faith as opposed to having something confirmed for them for sure and then just believing because of that by his coming back that he's employing the temptation they talk about the three temptations that he re- that jesus supposedly re- rejected in the wilderness and one of these is miracle and that by mm-hmm. em- employing his ability to do miracles that he's enslaving the people because the people come and they say do a miracle and we'll follow you and we'll believe you're you are he and we'll do everything you want how how does that relate to the when they're talking about bread is that Mm. yeah so bread how, how do you see bread yeah so bread is one of the other temptations that mm-hmm. just the same way if he were to use his power and give everyone food then they would be enslaved by that because he talks about Ivan postulates that people will throw away their freedom just in order to get the bread and the circus right the mm-hmm. entertainment and sustenance how do you feel about mm-hmm. that idea do you think that's how people really behave i mean i think so i mean like the the desire to eat and have have food is a pretty base human desire and i think especially you know people are undergoing like a famine or something that they won't really put put freedom above above just making the, the pain of hunger go away certainly and what about in our context because we find ourselves in a in a position in this developed country where there's a bounty of sustenance when you you can get food and a very very ch- cheap food and there's a bounty of entertainment as well consider netflix 
Mm-hmm. How, how does that, because don't you feel that when you have easy, direct access to those things, that your motivation to do anything just plummets? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if you're not being fulfilled in, in the more important ways that aren't just entertainment and food, that those can kind of just take over and, and give your brain the illusion that everything is okay and you don't need to uh put that much effort in anything that that's why you have backlashes against it with uh movements like the dopamine detoxes yeah because it's it's very easy for for the for like the the higher thinking cerebral cortex part of your brain to be a, a slave to the like the reptilian part of your brain that just wants food and sex and and warmth and whatever yeah wow so so maybe yvonne's got a point here yeah so when when he says freedom and bread enough for all is inconceivable yeah he's he's saying that you you it you kind of have to yeah pick your either one or one or the other and that that's kind of the human condition is that you're you're going to want the things you don't, you can't have and that your desires will always be unfulfilled hmm and included in that is a desire for freedom, which once you get it, you don't want it anymore because it forces you to to not have other like creature comfort things that you really need. Yeah, that was another fascinating idea here that freedom is a burden. It's a, mm-hmm. a big theme of Yvonne's thrust here. Yeah. And so that that was uh, part of the Grand Inquisitor's thrust as well, um, that the church has been given this burden of guarding the knowledge of good and evil, and that that is a burden that should be reduced to as few people as possible, just the 100,000 or so minority who guard this secret in order to keep the rest of humanity safe and free from the burden of freedom Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you think about that uh i think it's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) i probably agree (laughs) why well i mean now that i'm thinking about it i mean it, it reminds me of of kind of the reason the the founding fathers had in the beginning for not making the U.S. a direct democracy is that the people are stupid and that if you give them the freedom to actually do what they mm. you know everyone the freedom to do what they want to do on that scale it it might not work out okay interesting because people and people in general are are kind of stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah or or short short sighted at least mm. yeah certainly. Yeah, so the idea is that freedom and civility are sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, he talks in uh, another part about all the all the awful things that that people do, like abusing children and and needlessly, like committing needlessly horrific war crimes and that kind of thing. And that's some part of that is is present in all of us. And it's it's part of being human that we have those kind of dark 
dark desires mm-hmm. and that freedom has to has to take those along for the ride yeah um but don't you think that if we have those dark desires and stuff that we'll we'll still do them anyway regardless if we if we think we have the agency or if we think we're in someone else's control yeah i mean yeah i, I guess it does get kind of academic free will <laughs> debate like if you know because the yeah that the outcome is is the same obviously humans are gonna are gonna they're, yeah they're gonna act on those on those dark impulses uh either either if they think they're in control or or if someone else is in control yeah even the grand inquisitor says that the people who we are shepherding are going to sin and we will allow them to sin and they'll love us for it because we'll take their sin unto ourselves we're we're saying we're we'll take the burden of all of the bad things that people do out of kindness and love for Mm -hmm. them yeah, big, big sky daddy will take all your all your sins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'll take care of everything. Mm, yeah, don't worry about a thing, sugar. <laughs> what? So, what did you think about? Um, Yvonne says that he believes that in the end there'll be some kind of apocalyptic event where everything is made clear that it was all for good and that everything will be made right and justice will be restored and then he says he believes that that will happen but he won't uh Mm. it won't satisfy him right right yeah he respectfully returns the ticket right Mm -hmm. god's ticket yeah yeah he says that he he accepts god but he rejects the world that god has created (laughs) now i think i think that if there were a god that created this world and did so with intention as a god would then absolutely reject that world reject that i would say reject that god um even if there's some reckoning in the end where it's all made good and and the uh, abusers embrace the abused and all cry out thou art just O lord <laughs> as as ivan says um even even if they do that that this is you have you have to consider that this is an abusive god this is an entity that has created this pain and suffering needlessly mm-hmm. so you, you'd say you'd reject that god Absolutely. In the same sense, I think we can draw a direct parallel to people who live in abusive relationships and who feel as if their partner is wholly uh, powerful. You know, there's Mm -hmm. sort of this mindset where the abusive agent becomes almost like a god, this uh, Mm -hmm. intractable presence. And that the only way you can ever get out of such an environment is to 
reject the authority of that individual. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious to connect back to our Alan Watts episode, how, how, how can you say you, re you would reject that kind of God, but yet accept a universe, which is basically the same, but without a, <laughs> a creator? <laughs> Wonderful question. I think it comes down to the intentionality of it. Because if you have an omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent creature that creates a world, for it to include that suffering is inconceivable. If it's omnipotent, it should be able to create a world without that suffering. With, with the knowledge that it has, it should be able to avoid all the cataclysms and chaos and bumbling about that we have experienced in our history and, mm -hmm. and in our present. Whereas if you don't have a creator, if that's the way it is, just because that's the way it is, if it's like the, you know, the sound of one hand clapping, right? It's Mm -hmm. something ar arising spontaneously from nothing, that sort of situation, you don't have anything to compare it with. There's no scaffolding that the better world could have been constructed on. So what you have is what there is, and that is good. So you, you would use that to imply that you wouldn't want God to exist or that God doesn't exist because that would imply that he purposely cre created something that was causing so much suffering yes absolutely i was listening to this nuclear engineer ian hutchinson being interviewed on lex friedman's uh, artificial intelligence podcast and he is uh i'll say one of the rare scientists you'll you'll talk to who is who's very like adamantly religious mm -hmm. and he was saying a similar thing about how the onus is kind of on you if you think that the world is so messed up for you to come up with a better way that it could be and that um so he, he made kind of a similar argument that that you did. Hmm. But interesting. So you say he's a proponent of God? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, also very skeptical about, yeah, whether whether there's a material explanation for for the soul or or the mind or how simple any of that actually is to understand and figure out. Not that it's impossible, but that people who question free will or question religion and think it's it's that we're basically machines made of meat have a little bit of hubris and that there might be some quantum mechanical things happening that throw throw a wrench into our understanding yeah that's interesting that if you have a, a god that's omniscient omnipotent that it, it should be able to use those qualities to create a world without suffering there's no reason to think that it would be impossible uh, and, and to give you an example of, like, let, let's say, mm, I don't know, God knows how to make penicillin, mm -hmm. but waited however many, a couple hundred thousand years, or how, however long humans have been humans, to allow us to discover that on our own before that discovery began to sell, save people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is that the the idea of omnipotence is itself kind of contradictory because, yeah, I mean, this is the whole problem in theology of like, can God 
make a stone that's so heavy he can't lift it. <laughs> right. That kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I guess I am perhaps with Yvonne and his inquisitor too in in their secret. You know the secret? <laughs> What's the secret? That the inquisitor does not believe in God. <laughs> He's protecting the people from that horrible revelation. If as few people as possible can know this knowledge of good and evil, that there is no God, then as few as people as possible will suffer. Wow. So where, where do you get that? It's like a, it's like a crazy insight. <laughs> um, well, he, 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 he as much as says that actually in in the i have the advantage of having read through this passage a number of times yeah um <laughs> yeah so ivan says through his inquisitor that to to have this knowledge is a burden and that to be happy is to be free from that knowledge if you're free from the knowledge and you believe there's a god and that your soul has been saved then you're happy. You you don't have the extreme burden of of life, of of onus of your own actions, right? Your actions don't have the same impact, the same dire result as as if you were truly alive and an agent responsible for your own actions. So you said the, the Inquisitor has figured out that God doesn't exist and is now berating this person who who claims to be or seems to be the reincarnation of Christ about how it's all contradictory. Yeah, that, that that's actually a good point. There's a, a bit of a contradiction within... Dostoevsky's story here, or at least within the, the conversation of his two characters, because at first you have this story put by Ivan where it seems as though the the Inquisitor does recognize this person as being Jesus come, come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Alyosha raises the question, is it just mistaken identity? Is thinking this is an imposter and Yvonne says uh could be could be not what does it matter mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh then later in the conversation Alyosha bursts out that your inquisitor does not believe in god that is his great secret and you with him oh right right <laughs> so yeah there's a, a bit of a contradiction there because per- perhaps the inquisitor does believe that this is jesus but that his presence is no longer required which seems to be the main point of the of the parable or the poem Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's the other side where he does not believe in god i guess i'm thinking there's more like a like a maybe what yvonne's trying to point out is that there's some kind of like contradiction within christianity itself interesting (laughs) and maybe we won't get into that point because uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) because why (laughs) 
Well, there's plenty of great material out there tearing apart the logical inconsistencies within Christianity, and there's plenty yeah. of material of Christians saying, I don't care because I believe. And mm-hmm. that, that that argument is going back and forth for a long time in all the corners sure. of the internet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, if yeah. You, if you guys want to hear that kind of stuff, uh, check out the Atheist Experience. <laughs> it's a show, a radio show, and they have stuff on YouTube where there's a couple of atheists, and they have theists call them and basically pit it out yeah sounds about right (laughs) (laughs) but i'm i'm happy to let that question be and we'll just uh talk from our own perspectives of the world and Mm -hmm. allow other people to have their own perspectives as well Mm -hmm. well yeah because i'm just thinking about he he talks about like the three temptations that Mm. Jesus was presented with in, in the wilderness and basically how if he'd given in to each one, how much better things would have been, right? Isn't that kind of what the Inquisitor... Well, he, he hmm. didn't say it would be better, but he, he kind of points out that like if he, had, if he had given people bread, that would have led to them not having freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And if, Oh, wow. Yeah. Same thing with, with if he had, you know... Uh, I think the the second temptation was like ca- cast yourself down and and if God is there he'll from from a high place and if God is there he'll he'll catch you and yeah, they they all kind of have well. yeah they they all have kind of the thrust of of they they will take away people's uh choice to yeah. believe or not exactly yeah oh oh so that's that's the core of it then there's the there's where the contradiction yeah because because so take take the case of bread uh, we'll give the people bread, and the Inquisitor's argument to Jesus was that if you had accepted that, you would have enslaved humanity, right? They would have all been given their freedom to come to your feet and take your bread, and that that would have been wrong, and that Jesus was so right, assuming that God exists, to deny that and to give people their own freedom and their own agency but if the inquisitor doesn't believe that god exists then it makes sense to give them bread to take away Mm -hmm. their freedom so that they don't have to come to terms with the horrible realization that there is no god but then he didn't he didn't want people like that's why he took the old man away because he didn't want people to know that he was the reincarnation, right? So he he wants people to not have bread in the end, right? Um well, no, I think it's the opposite. I think that the institution of the church in in the inquisitor's view is that that is the the institution through which people are given bread, right? He says they'll give mm-hmm. us a, the bread and then we'll hand it back to them and they'll be grateful for it that's what the the church does in his perspective Mm -hmm. and so he wants that to continue being the the power as opposed to 
if Jesus were to come in and do his miracles and uh, destroy the institution of the church because no one no one's going to follow the angry old man if if they see that this is God here among us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so it's all about preserving the the structure of the Catholic Church and the messed up relationship it has with the, the people in it and the the people who are kind of ruling over everything. Yeah, exactly, to protect them. So this story is actually the basis of The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas by Ursula K. Le Guin, which I don't know if you know, Trevor, that Very Bad Wizards did uh, an episode on this. Oh, I think, yeah, I mean, I'd probably heard it. I know that I know the name. She's like a pretty well-known science fiction author, right? Yeah. And it's a very famous short story Mm -hmm. where there's basically a utopia world and there's one child who's in a basement underneath it and everything is so wonderful in this world except for this one child has to be tortured and living in well at least just living in misery and and dying alone and if Mm -hmm. that happens then everything is wonderful except for that so what's her what's her perspective on christianity and religion i couldn't tell you that's that's a question i'd like to ask since it seems relevant trevor what is your relationship with epistemology (laughs) um i mean i think it has to be rooted in in science or something like science even though science is imperfect um But I mean, I, I, <laughs> no matter what, it, it, it's hard to imagine that people living in societies 2000 years ago knew really anything about metaphysically what's going on or how the world, world works or, or any, oh, you any, think so? I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to the level of like knowing that there is a benevolent omnipotent creator who has created everything and hmm. is, is meddling in people's lives and, and watching over everything and and has some kind of son who came to earth sure. like <laughs> that, that, yeah. that anyone back then could have known all of that somehow. I mean, sure. So, so the, the base of basis of knowledge for those suppositions are maybe not sound, but I, w- I would say as well that there are people who very clearly demonstrate 
uh, an insightful, intuitive understanding of the universe, even dating back thousands of years ago. One example, Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. If you read his text, there's no doubt that he understood what it is to be alive. Oh, totally. He saw the the fabric of of reality. Yeah, I mean, and, but I feel like his writings are more about how to act and how to think and how to how to be a, a person, which I, I totally, totally, you know, people back then could think about and and know things about that. I guess I'm thinking more about like metaphysics type things about how the like what the what the base of reality is and um where we, where I, everything originated i i think that that is derivative you can derive that from any human experience yeah i mean you yeah, can I mean, you can derive something from it i don't know if that's going to be the right thing the right thing i mean the <laughs> <laughs> So, so how, how do you how do you derive that from directly from human experience? You go through the thought experiment of paying attention to what is it that you are aware of? What what can you know with certainty? I mean my my mind just goes to the the I can only know that I'm conscious and I can mm-hmm. only know that I'm thinking and that's that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And to go through that thought experiment and to see all of your suppositions, all of the things you thought you believed or thought you knew and see them erode and see that, oh, actually, I don't know that. That's something that I assumed, but turns out that there's no basis for me to to think that. Mm-hmm. You can do that anywhere at any point of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if if you acknowledge that that you can't actually know a whole whole lot, then then that mm-hmm. that kind of insight is is available. And is that idea any different or separate from the perception of one's own existence as like a, an immediate awareness? Mm-hmm. Like what it really boils down to is the only thing that you can know are those things which you can actively perceive as being the truth in the present moment. It's interesting because I'm sure I'm sure like individual people had that thought, but for like in prehistory and and everything, I I I feel like people were so sure that they knew what was going on as far as like everything being controlled by different spirits and um. Mm -hmm everything just being kind of personified mm-hmm. um, that I feel like that might've kind of taken over and blotted out any kind of analytical ideas about like the, the nature of like awareness and stuff. Hmm. So Trevor, would you consider yourself then to be an atheist? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I don't really like the word agnostic either. I mean, I think, I think, if if God exists, it's it's you would just call God the entire universe as a whole, and mm-hmm. I think that's if you're gonna use the word God for something, that's a pretty good thing to use it for. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I don't know. I, I think there's something beautiful about calling that God. Hmm. But know, some some people would probably say that's that's atheism. Interesting. So yeah. I would consider myself to be an anti-theist. Yeah. Tell, tell me more. <laughs> I am convinced that there is no God and that there can be no God. <laughs> and why is that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's actually pretty straightforward. If you consider that no object that exists in our universe is perfect, do you, do you accept that? Well, isn't Alan Watts' whole point that everything is perfect? How is that? Well, because it's, how else would it be? I mean, wait, because mm. what, what do you mean by perfect? Do you mean like that yeah. it, me, if my skin isn't like totally, totally smooth, it's not perfect? Or that, you know, if you have an apple and like, you know, it's... uh it's colors a little off that's not perfect or mm. yeah that's that's a, that's a good point um yeah yeah like is sufficient and good synonymous with perfect and i would say it's it's not perfection implies uh accuracy and beauty so let's say let's let's use an example of music let's say there's a piece by js bach and that you want to play that piece. Mm -hmm. Now you can do a very well done rendition. You can do perfectly acceptable. Uh, let, let's even be reductionistic and say we're just talking about you're at the keyboard and you're trying to hit the notes accurately on time. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, you can do it very well. But if you get very minute in your time scale and you look, uh, at some point, there's going to be deviation. Mm -hmm. like if you zoom in close enough, you're just a hair ahead of the beat, just a hair behind the beat. Mm -hmm. Maybe that note is the tone of it isn't quite, 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 quite perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially true of everything, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, if you have an entity that is all good and perfect, then you cannot have such an entity in the world that we have mm -hmm. i guess i, I don't how, how does that connect to there not not being a, a god or something that you could call a god so we can describe this thing we call god in a whole bunch of different ways right we can use terms like oh it's omnipotent it's um omniscient all, all those kind of fun words or, or every way that it's ever been described poetically or artistically. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you look at any of those or any aggregate of any of those, everything that has been created to describe that entity is not that entity. Mm -hmm. Because God, God is by definition, more than that. It's everything that could possibly ever be. Right. Yeah, which is why why I would say that God is the whole universe taken as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that it couldn't but, be anything less but, than that. Yeah, and, and so there's there's a different way to define it. And so 
that what leads me to the anti-theist stance is the definition where God not only would be everything that is, but everything that could be. Mm-hmm. By definition, God is that which could be, but isn't. Huh. Well, if, if you define it that way, then of course he doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and it, is, it, it is a little bit tautological, but, or, or, or just obvious, but I think, for me anyway, I've come to the point where that definition for God, that, that God is all that could be, is the only way that it it makes sense for me to define him or it. Mm. And I wonder if there's a connection from that concept to being conscious as a conscious entity. Yeah, but although, I mean, for me, like, realizing that I doesn't exist is kind of implies that God exists because if, if I doesn't exist, then it's just one big thing. There's no There's no divisions. That's the way. That's kind of the way I see it. <laughs> is is what once the I, once the sense of self goes away, then like everything turns into into one unified thing that that I would I would call God. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to pin the tail on the donkey yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's so fun about these discussions, or or else um, mind numbing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there is no answer and we're just kind of dancing around mm -hmm. this incongruity that's at the center of everything yeah well I, I yeah and i think part of that is that something about the human brain really wants to believe that there is something like god and that there is this thing that explains everything and that mm. can can unify everything and, and we have this word for it that has all this baggage and has has you know inspired so many writings over over millennia and in the end it's just a word that humans have created yeah that and that the like the hemming and hawing over like whether it exists or not is a wild goose chase yeah quite possibly Yvonne says if there is no god he'd have to be invented yeah he says What's strange, what would be marvelous, is not that God should really exist. The marvel is that such an idea, the idea of the necessity of God, could enter the head of such a savage, vicious beast as man. Mm. So, holy it is, so holy it is, so touching, so wise, and so great a credit it does to man. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is interesting, because like I said, it, I mean, across like every culture in, in the world, like there's something about the human brain that wants, really wants to believe that something like God exists. Yeah, but it is it is kind of wild that that comes out of what would others otherwise just be an instinct to survive and mm -hmm. do whatever it takes to survive. Yeah, because again, Yvonne says that we are unequipped to answer these questions. Yeah, and actually, I mean, what if the desire for a god come came out of you know as as we got more intelligent at some point we saw that there could be an answer to everything like that we could actually figure out how the world works in a certain way mm. and that even though we didn't know what that was or you know maybe we thought we knew what it was but 
our our recognition of that is what we see as God is is that there could be some kind of underlying order to everything that would unify everything and that that in itself is rooted in like the evolutionary desire to understand the world better so that you can survive more effectively yeah well (laughs) (laughs) spot on um yeah so we can't really encompass infinity though right because because we are flesh and but blood there there is a finite aspect to our existence that our experience cannot be entirely infinite mm-hmm. but we, and we can still think that we're we're going to be able to comprehend something infinite even though mm. it's it's beyond us yeah kind of by definition and what's so interesting to me though is that well maybe we can't encompass infinity we can still approach infinity. Mm-hmm. We can have ever more gradual, ever more precise descriptions of infinity that never, never quite hit the mark, but they imply it. Like, for example, if you take the uh, the golden ratio or whatever the Fibonacci series, you can say one, one, two, three, five, eight. And that that pattern implies the golden ratio, and the more numbers you add to it, the closer you get to the golden ratio. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the further you go, the more you're approaching infinity. Yeah, I mean, or even something as simple as just the idea of a circle. Mm. It's being like a really powerful metaphor for for the infinite. Yeah. I have, I have a quote from another one of my favorite authors, Patrick Rothfuss, in his book, The Wise Man's Fear. All right. Um, there's a character who says, <clears throat> You can divide infinity an infinite number of times, and the resulting pieces will still be infinitely large. But if you divide a non-infinite number an infinite number of times, the resulting pieces are non-infinitely small. Since they are non-infinitely small, but there are an infinite number of them, if you add them back together, their sum is infinite. This implies any number is, in fact, infinite. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's, so like there's, there's different kinds of infinity and there's the infinity of, uh, I'm going to get my math terms mixed up, but <laughs> there's, there's the infinity of, of whole numbers, right. Of, you know, zero, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four up to, you know, uh, it goes on forever. And then there's also, you can infinitely divide the numbers between zero and one. Like that's yeah. also an infinity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, one, one concept that really helps me understand this idea is if you have a series such as, uh, one half plus half of one half, so a quarter plus mm-hmm. half of that, so an eighth, and you have that series going on infinitely, that number as it goes up the series is closer and closer to one. It's approaching one. Mm-hmm. And when you have an infinite series approaching that, uh, that, that, that point no, that represents one, that is what one is. 
What do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> the only way to understand what this concept one is is it is that infinite series that is approaching. Huh. <laughs> so you, because I feel like the way I would define one is, I mean, compared to zero, is just presence versus absence, right? Mm, yeah. I don't know if you need an infinite series to convey that. Uh, I agree. Um, but then let's say any integer, how, how do you define the integer? Like, what is it to be that number? <laughs> and in, in an infinite world, the only thing that makes sense if, if numbers are infinite is that is the series that approaches that marker. Or rather, that the, the, the series is the marker that represents what that number is. Yeah, I, I guess I see what you mean because there, there's like, there's a, there's an infinite spectrum and the, the number two is just one point on the spectrum is that kind of what you're saying yeah like there's this infant yeah mm -hmm. infinitesimal like gradations and yeah any of any of the the whole numbers are just kind of an arbitrary point along the yeah the infinite spectrum mm -hmm. that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't i don't know enough about math to i'm sure people have have like thought about this before but like what if what if there's like a whole system of math based based on instead of of whole numbers like mm. uh like the square root of two like that is that's like a digit <laughs> as opposed to like all all these all these numbers that are like irrational numbers that can't be expressed yeah you know perfectly in in decimal notation like what if you just call that its own digit and then. Mm create like a whole <laughs> mathematical system based on that yeah interesting i mean i i think to a certain extent that's integrated into our math you have a single system to a symbol to represent pi and that that can be used in equations as that symbol right but like as like something that's only based on that and doesn't have the other the other numbers somehow <laughs> <laughs> whatever that means if there was a world and everything was great but in order for that world to exist you had to torture one innocent child would you do it <laughs> <laughs> you mean like infinitely for an infinite amount of time well, any anything that happens at any point is gonna continue on infinitely, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just this has to happen the once, but that that's it still happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say no, just because. Uh, so <laughs> it's interesting because because I, I if like, um, if you give me the trolley po problem. Right, where you have to mm. you have to kill one person to save five. I say yes, kill the person, but I feel like torture is different mm. because torture is is continuous, and and the person is aware of that it's happening. Whereas if you were just going to kill them, then they would die, but they wouldn't be aware, you know, after they died. Mm. Yeah. 
I wouldn't I wouldn't torture. I wouldn't torture a kid. I would maybe I would maybe kill <laughs> a kid to save the <laughs> to create eternal happiness. Mm-hmm. I mean Yeah, that's the question is like what's it compared to, right? Like if if you have this situation where you kill the kid and then there's eternal happiness for that entire universe. But what if you don't do it? And then you have any possibility that could ever happen. And within those possibilities is the possibility to create a world where you don't have to torture a kid. But there's also a bunch of other worlds where, uh, where there's way more suffering. Now, at what point do you walk away? At what point do you say, this isn't worth it. I'm going to risk greater suffering in order for the possibility to create a better world. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's a bigger answer to it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying that if you... If you tortured or killed the kid and then could create a better world that might be worth it i mean i wouldn't be in a place to judge i don't have that that's the thing and no one would be when you're there Mm -hmm. you don't know what's out there although i think i think part part of what distorts it is is that the the torturing of the child implies that there is like a group of people intentionally inflicting pain Whereas in the actual world, it's it's more distributed, and no one rep- no one person is responsible for this this system that demands that people suffer. Mm. Just as a, as a as the cost of entry for anything existing at all, or any anyone being alive at all. Yeah, like the yeah. The, the child being tortured is is there's there's specific intent there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because that goes back to. Um, talking about God creating the world, right? And if there's the intentionality behind it and God created that world and tortured the kid, that's a different situation entirely than if it just has to be this way because no one made it this way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the only way for any of this to, any of this life or experience to exist at all. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting was we have this story put forth by Fyodor Dostoevsky, and he has sort of his own conclusion that you see that he comes to without necessarily forcing you to come, which is that God exists, despite all these arguments he's made. But the first time through... I was convinced, I mean, not not in the literal sense, but for me, it seemed like really insightful, heartfelt views of the world that he was representing here. And I I still think so. Um, But one thing that I thought was kind of funny is if you look at the actual arguments made between Ivan and Alyosha about the existence of God, which is their main point of contention. Ivan has some pretty well 
thought out logical conclusions Mm -hmm. and it comes down to this question of can there be morality without god because without god isn't everything lawful lawless Mm -hmm. i don't know what do you think about that (laughs) i mean i think that's I think that's BS. <laughs> uh-huh. I agree. <laughs> because uh, obviously, yeah, I mean, <laughs> as long as you acknowledge that, that everyone wants to not suffer and uh, that everyone has a right to like preserve their own, their own body and their own happiness and well-being, I think that's all you need or most of what you need. Yeah, I agree completely. And there's like a million videos on YouTube of people walking you through the logical steps to to, to get to that understanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Eliosha says even, uh, this other guy, Rakitin, he says that it's possible to have morality without God and that maybe it's even easier, which, <laughs> again, I agree with. Um <laughs> And then his only his only argument against this point is to say, but you'd have to be an idiot to think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that holds up. <laughs> Ad hominem. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say I mean I forgot <laughs> I forgot that Dostoevsky was was Christian and reading it, I totally thought that he was taking Ivan's <laughs> side <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's just the way it's written is just like a parody of 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 the, the the Catholic Church thinking that that it's it it knows way more than you know that it, it somehow has surpassed God itself in in knowledge of of what's right. Yeah, um, and that's what's so powerful to me about this writing is that you have this character the author who can see the hypocrisy and the logical incongruities he he sees the logic and yet still it it holds firm to his convictions Mm -hmm. it's like such a mind that encompasses those opposite polarities Mm mm-hmm I don't know, I'm I'm blown away. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, he's yeah, he has like, it takes a lot of integrity to be able to examine something that closely and inhabit the other viewpoint so, mm. so accurately and so, like, passionately. It seems like, <laughs> and, and still, yeah, still hold, hold to your beliefs. Absolutely. Journal time. Yeah, journal. <laughs> All right. So I bring this up because it's related to the idea of sensualism and the character Fyodor, who is the father of the Karamazovs, who's kind of this ridiculous buffoon. And he even knows that he's the buffoon and playing the buffoon. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, he's obnoxious and a lot of people hate him. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But... Do you ever have a feeling like there's people who who play the buffoon and they're they're kind of obnoxious but in in general people like them. Yeah. And yeah, totally. Yeah. 
And so I was wondering why why that is, and I have a little theory here I'd like to run by you. All right. <clears throat> From my journal. The asshat, the pedantic brute, always willing to play the buffoon. Why is he so well-liked? The world is dark and filled with questions, questions with answers we may not wish to hear, for they lead us to change. Perhaps we are afraid to realize what we may accomplish. Perhaps we're afraid of what we might do. Our minds are powerful. There is no feat of ingenuity we can't accomplish with dedication and intent. And with this ability, we may feel we are bound by duty to use our power and face the unknown. There's a lot of responsibility, a lot of onus placed upon you, right? With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> um, but when the fool shows up and acts like an asshat, it lowers our expectations of ourselves. So we're not expected to revolutionize ourselves and our world, and we remain in our comfortable, usual forms. Yeah, I agree with that. I, th I think it's also just that people, when they see someone like that who is able to laugh at themselves so easily, they they, they wish they could be that forgiving mm -hmm. with themselves, at least at least for me. Interesting. <laughs> I feel like that's part of it. Like so someone who's who's so easily able to laugh at themselves and just, uh, you know, say, oh, yeah, like I messed up. That was stupid. That was dumb. <laughs> But that's I'm I'm like it happens so often I'm so used to it that, that I've I've turned it into this like positive part of my oh that's interesting personality yeah that uh, release from rigidity do so you think a lot of people feel confined in their own identities that they can't express themselves or they're afraid to show themselves messing up yeah yeah. Something like that. Or I mean, at least I know for me, like I'm, I'm just like extra hard on myself, and it helps to see someone who, who, like on paper seems to be messing up a lot more than I am, but is is, in general, just a happier person, <laughs> and like <laughs> doesn't let it, you know, phase them as much. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. Um. Well, cool. Cool. Thanks for joining <laughs> us tonight. Yeah. <laughs> this morning, whenever you're listening. <laughs> this podcast is making you happier as you go throughout your day. Consider helping us out. There are a couple really simple things you can do. Subscribe. Give us a great review on any of the platforms. Tell your friends about us. Share our podcasts on social media. Yeah. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>